Good morning. We're on our second week looking at um, sort of the life and teachings of Peter. And um, if you weren't here last week, a very brief recap. We looked at Peter's first meeting with Jesus. So Peter's calling when Jesus kind of comes to him and says, follow me. And he and his brother dropped everything and followed. And um, you know, we looked at actually that central to kind of understanding the gospel and understanding what it is to be a Christian is that actually we're called to follow. We're called to be disciples and we're committed to following Jesus, his teaching, walking in his ways and becoming like him. And that that requires sacrifice. It requires discipline. And we talked about kind of this balance where we've got to hold on to two really key truths that, yeah, we're called sons and daughters and we're saved absolutely by grace. We take our stand firmly in grace, but we are also called to be disciples, so fully committed to following Jesus in every situation, in every season. Um, and we need to live in the fullness of both those things. And you know, I think when, if we can grab hold of both those things, you know, being sons and daughters, but committing to follow and committing to being disciplined, um, then I think we're going to see the kingdom come in amazing ways. One without the other is not going to cut it. Being sons and daughters but not being disciplined is not going to get us there. But being disciplined and doing all the right things without that revelation of being a son, being a daughter, isn't going to get it either. And the danger is we can kind of swing from one to the other. But we need, desperately need both in the church, you know, sonship and discipline, not separating out the two. And so you see, you know, with this, with this calling that um, Jesus comes to Peter and Peter says, yes, I'm in. You know, that kind of marks Peter out for the whole of his, his journey. He's always absolutely jumping straight in. And, and I want to look this morning um, at Peter's confession of faith. So it's a, a little bit further on with his journey um, where he has a, a revelation of actually who is it he is following? You know, who is it he has said yes to? Um, and, and then Jesus begins to speak sort of some of the possibilities and purpose, what he's going to do with people who follow people who give him their yes um you know and i think at his initial calling i don't think he knew really who jesus was um and he was following more it was a sort of a heart spirit response something jumped within him and he said yes i'm in um but as he walked with jesus and even from this point with his confession you know there was still process like more understanding more revelation came and so by the time we read um the encounter we're going to be in this morning um the disciples had walked with Jesus for some time. So in Matthew's gospel, there's the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. So they've heard Jesus talk about the Beatitudes, you know, this upside down way of living. They've heard him talk about, you know, forgiveness and money and adultery and, and fasting and praying and judging, people. you know, masses and masses of teaching that Jesus has been sort of sharing with them all the time. Um, they'd seen amazing things. You know, so if you look through Matthew's gospel, certainly there's been lots of miracles by this point. Lots of people see who've been healed, Jews and Gentiles. Um, you'd seen Jesus calm a storm. They'd um, seen Jesus walk on water. They'd seen him miraculously multiply food, feed thousands of people. They'd also been on their first trip. So there's the point where Jesus sends out the 12 and says, you know, go and heal the sick, cast out demons. They'd been sent out. Um, so they've, they've walked with Jesus for a certain amount of time. Now, I don't know chronologically how long, but they've certainly been with him a good while. They've heard him teach a lot. They've heard him, if you like, teach about the kingdom, but demonstrate it with signs and wonders as well. So they, they've been around him enough to be getting the idea that, you know, Jesus is something pretty special. But it's clear from this episode that people sort of, the people at large, if you like, there were really mixed opinions, really mixed ideas of who this Jesus was. And, um, 
So they walked with Jesus for some time. And then we land here in Matthew 16. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there, I'm going to pray. But we're going to be in Matthew um, chapter 16, verses 13 through to 20. So I set the scene, why don't we pray? Father, I want to thank you that you're with us and thank you that you are good. And we can firmly build our lives on the fact that you're good. You're always with us. You're always for us. Um, But God, you call us to follow and you call us to walk with you and to walk forwards. Um, And I pray that you'd come and you'd open up this passage to us, encourage us. Help us to um, just get that revelation again of who you are and what's possible when we believe and trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read Matthew 16. I need to move. I'm actually shivering. I'm so cold. Maybe you'll have to sit down. Matthew 16, this is verse 13. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. So clearly this is a pretty key encounter. This is clearly a, a quite a significant step in you know, Peter as a man always walking forward. This is quite an important step in walking with Jesus. And he'd seen some amazing things and brought him to this point, this interaction with Jesus. So in the midst of this journey, journey with Peter, and in the midst of kind of you know, the news about Jesus spreading and, and people having lots of different ideas and, lo- and landing in different places and who is this Jesus, um, Peter comes with it, uh, John, Jesus comes with this simple question to the disciples, who do you say I am? And then you see this personal confession by Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's clearly an important moment because Jesus' response to Peter's confession is, is amazing. He makes this amazing statement of what's now possible, what's going to be built from this point on. And Biblical scholars far wiser than me have argued to and fro, I'm sure over centuries, over what does this encounter mean? And really the crux of it is, what is the rock that Jesus is planning to build his church on? And I want to kind of look at that a little bit. Essentially, mostly, people fall into two thoughts. (laughs) Firstly, the rock is Peter. It's Peter the man. You know, so for in lots of areas of the church, you know, Catholic church, but in lots of other areas of the church as well, there's this idea that, you know, the, so the Pope today is in this direct line of succession from Peter, um, direct link back to Peter from the current day. And that, you know, when Jesus is saying on this rock, he's talking about Peter. It's on you. I'm going to build my church. Other people would say, no, no, it's not. It's on Peter's confession. It's on the truth of you are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. On that, that he will build his church. You know, but I've been reading a lot this last week and and, I, and there's a third option, which I'd never kind of come across as well. And it's, so I want to I look briefly at each one of those, and then I'll, I'll tell you where I land. Um, but essentially, they could come down into three things. It's, so this rock that Jesus is going to build on, is it about the where, is it the what, or is it the who? So we'll look at those. Here's the first one, where. Um, and this, is the, this one is new to me. So if you, 
in this passage, it's very clear. It starts off saying that Jesus went to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is about 30 miles north of Galilee, where most of Jesus' ministry had been going on at that time. By foot, which is clearly all they had, it was a good two days' walk. So it's a long way from where Jesus had been. Um, It's at the foot of Mount Hermon, and it's one of the main sources of the River Jordan. Now, as the name implies, that was a Roman name, yeah? Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar, um, was always called Peneus. That was the ancient name for this city. Um, And I think we've got a picture. It's a massive, sheer cliff face um, with at the bottom, can you see sort of bottom left-hand side, it looks shadowy. That is a huge cave. And inside that is this huge pool. There's a natural spring with this incredibly deep pool of water. So the ancient Canaanites built a sanctuary there and, and a temple to Baal, one of the false gods. The Greeks and Romans had sanctuaries and shrines there. And it was all because of this you know, huge sort of, I suppose, geological impressiveness and the fact there was this source um, of the Jordan there. And you can see there's sort of, you see the little archways all over the front of it. Those are all shrines. Then the Romans came, renamed it Caesarea Philippi. But that's a little bit of history here. I've actually been there. I went to Israel when I was 18 and I've got that almost exact photo. And I was looking on the internet. I was like, I've stood there. Um, so this is where this whole encounter between Peter and Jesus happened. Is that of any relevance or interest? I think it's interesting, but is it relevant? Here's the bottom line. I think the Bible says things for a reason. So if it specifically records that they went to Caesarea Philippi and that's where this happened, you know, they don't say that for every single encounter. And it is a bit about, well, you know, why would there be a two-day walk before this going on? Um, And the bottom line is this. This area was about as pagan an area as you're going to find, yeah? So you've got all these shrines and sanctuaries to Roman gods, Greek gods, old Canaanite false gods. It was a very pagan area. So could it be that the rock, when Jesus says, on this rock, could it be that very large (laughs) expanse of rock that would have been right in front of them? You know, was it that actually what Jesus was beginning to is with his disciples shifting them from, look, this isn't just a new synagogue. This isn't just about the Jews. This is a brand new something that I'm building for Jews and Gentiles alike. You know, they'd already seen him healing Gentiles as well as Jews. You know, and actually to be saying, even in this geographical area known for centuries, you know, as a stronghold of pagan false worship, you know, even here I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell can't prevail. You know, so some scholars have said actually that the rock Jesus was talking about was that rock. It was the where. So what about the what? That's the next one. And to understand the what, we kind of need to understand the context for Jews in sort of first century Israel. The Jews were expecting a Messiah, had been for centuries expecting the promised anointed one that God was going to send. You can see it all through the Old Testament and all through the prophetic books, um, this promise of a person, a Messiah who was going to come. And, and Jews at that time, and many Jews still today, you know, don't recognize that Jesus was that Messiah. So they're still looking, they're still waiting. And essentially speaking, there were sort of two ideas as to what this person was going to show up like. One was this sort of warrior, hero, king, who was going to come and sort of militarily and politically restore the kingdom, rid the land of oppression. The other one was the picture we see in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant, And it was actually this idea that he was going to come and he was going to deal with sin and guilt of people. But the expectation was someone is coming. It had been long prophesied, long expected. And and Peter's confession is basically saying, you're that one. 
this is you. So the word that's used in the Jewish and Aramaic languages for this expected anointed king is translated Messiah. So when he uses that word, you are the Messiah, he's like, you're the one that's been prophesied and promised and we've been waiting for. This is you. You're the one. Now, again, even at that point, it's clearly a significant step forward. I don't think Peter had, you know, in complete understanding of what that even meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. And it's interesting that Jesus very clearly, at the end of the passage we've read, he very clearly tells the disciples, don't tell anyone. Which is bizarre when he's been going around raising the dead and healing the sick and, you know, announcing the kingdom is coming. It seems a little bit confusing and conflicted, doesn't it? And I wonder if possibly the disciples, you know, Peter had this revelation, supernaturally, slightly bypassed maybe his understanding, with the right words, this recognition that he's the Messiah, but maybe not fully understanding what that meant. You know, maybe Jesus' quite clear direction not to tell people was because, you know, he knew that maybe they'd, their understanding of what that meant was wrong. You know, there was more their agenda was this sort of warrior, military, political agenda. Um, and if you think in, you know, they were an occupied people at that time. So the Romans occupied Israel. So in an occupied country, the idea of a kind of a champion coming to free you would be very appealing, that kind of a messiah. Um, but I don't think it was about, look, we're going to stop doing this stuff, you know, because he kept sending his disciples out to extend the kingdom um, a ministry kept going, but I think it was more this understanding, because actually if you look in the very next chapter in Matthew, Peter um, puts his foot in it for the first of many times, where Jesus starts talking about actually that he's going to suffer and he's going to need to die, and Peter's like, no, no way, like really comes against him, because I think probably his understanding of Messiah, that's like that just did not compute at all. But for us, you know, this, this confession of faith, if you like, um, is about recognizing the promised Messiah has come in Jesus. And it's, it's almost, it's everything all at once that the Jews were expecting. It is about dealing with the guilt of sin, but it is about freeing people from oppression. It is about restoring peace and justice in lands. And all of that is ushered in with Jesus. And is it that, you know, that confession of Jesus as the promised Messiah, is that the rock that Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church on? Or is it the who? Is this actually all about Peter? So I'm sure you know Peter, it's a play on words. So the Greek Petros is the same as Petra is rock, Petros is Peter. So it's very closely linked. So essentially, you know, Peter's name was rock. So is that what he's talking about? And it's interesting to me when, when Jesus is talking, he says, he starts off saying, Simon, son of Jonah, and blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So he starts off calling him Simon. And then in verse 18 says, and I tell you that you are Peter. So he starts off with one name and then he calls him this other. And on this rock I will build my church. So initially addresses him as Simon and then changes it to Peter. And it's almost like something in that kind of supernatural revelation that Peter received um, and, and that confession of faith, he stepped into being another man or maybe stepped into being the fullness of the man he was always called to be. He became Peter. Um, he stepped into this man who Jesus said, I'm going to give the keys of the kingdom, who was foundational building the early church. So that, that's the question. Did Jesus mean Peter or did he mean what Peter said? Um, honestly, I'm not just fudging the issue, but I genuinely think it's both. Um, I think it is. I think it absolutely is on the confession of faith in who Jesus is that the church is built. And even hell can't overcome that. 
Um, you know, we are given keys, we're given power and authority when we stand on the truth of who Jesus is. But I absolutely do think it was something personally about Peter as well. Um, I can't help thinking it because he said very clearly, you are Peter. And he didn't say, and by the way, on this, it, it was directed definitely personally at Peter. But I don't think it was a, an exclusive and once and for all statement to Peter. I think Peter, in, in this encounter, Peter is the rock that Jesus is talking about because in this context, he is the one confessing Jesus as the Christ. That's why he's the rock that Jesus can build on. So I think actually for those of us who also believe in Jesus and would say he is the son of the living God, he is the promised one, then actually we share in being part of that rock, part of how and where and when God builds his church. But clearly there was something very uniquely important about Peter. And if you look, we are going to look through the sort of other episodes in Peter's life. He was a clearly a key founding father in the early church. He absolutely was foundationally important. So yes, you know, we are saved through our own personal confession of who Jesus is. But the church absolutely has been built on fathers like Peter. And it says in Ephesians 2.20, it talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's people. There are key people that God builds the church on. And so I think these two things come together in Peter. You know, Peter as a man who had this revelation and makes his personal confession of Jesus but as a man wholeheartedly, always, giving Jesus his best yet. That was the making of him as a man. And I think it was that about Peter. You know, almost, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the conversation seems to be Jesus talking to all the disciples, but Peter is the first one to step out and say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's Peter's response to that revelation. Peter's willingness to step out, willingness to follow, willingness to say yes. It was that about him that made Jesus say, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Even though you know, Jesus had seen all you know, the mistakes the disciples were making and all the mistakes they would continue making, you know, the who's the greatest conversation, and you know, they, they got it so wrong. But there was so, you know, Jesus was able to not be deflected or discouraged, and Peter wasn't disqualified by any of that because Jesus saw right through that to, his, to see you know, Peter's response, which was, you are the son of the living God, and I'm going to follow you. That was enough for Jesus. And that should encourage us, because we all have our stuff. We all have the times when we get it wrong and put our feet in it. But actually, our wholehearted confession of who Jesus is, that is what makes us part of this church that Jesus is building. So Peter's this man who radically followed, you know, always jumped in with a yes, that devotion, that commitment, even though at times it was so unrefined, even times it was, you know, super clumsy, definitely lacking wisdom, definitely lacking maturity. But Jesus absolutely clearly said, you are Peter and on this rock. I think it's both. It's Peter, the man who he was, and his confession. And, and I can't help thinking that, you know, when we go through 1 Peter later on, you know, there's a really famous passage, we've looked at it recently, in 1 Peter about living stones. So it's Peter who says to the early church, you also are like living stones being built into, built together into this temple. I can't help thinking that this encounter with Jesus shaped that thinking and his understanding of how the church was going to be built. 
But it is built on people, that foundation of apostles and prophets. That is what Jesus builds the church on. So honestly, I think it's both. I actually think maybe the location is part of it as well. Maybe I think it could be all three. Actually, you know, what Jesus is saying is that he is going to build his church in the midst of pagan oppression, in the midst of the kingdom of darkness, on the foundation of apostles, men and women who commit to Jesus, and on that foundational truth of who Jesus is. All three of those things, I think, is what Jesus is saying, look, this is the rock that I'm going to build my church on. Tom Wright, who's um, who's a vicar theologian, who's in a um, commentary on Matthew, says this, but to those who agree with Peter that Jesus of Nazareth really is God's Messiah, this promise is made, that through this allegiance they will become the people through whom the living God will put the world to rights, bringing heaven and earth into their new state of justice and peace. Peter, with this declaration of faith, will be the starting point of this community. But for those, So for those of us who agree that Jesus is the Messiah, then we become the people through whom the kingdom of heaven comes, through whom the promises and the expectation that the Jews had of what's this Messiah going to come and do, now that now rests with us. But Peter was a starting point in that. So I want to I wanna look, um, what does that mean? You know, I, I think that's interesting. I love the Bible. I love unpacking it. I love getting to grips with what does it mean and what's the context? And I love all that. And I think it is, you know, it is important that we understand, well, what was that rock? But even more importantly was that is almost, well, what does that mean? Like, what is being built on that rock? You know, we don't just stick with the foundations. If you're building your house and you're just, you know, permanently settled for and impressed with your foundations, um, you would be missing out a little bit. But what are the implications, the possibilities after this encounter? And this is really where, um, from verses 18, um, let me read those again to you. Um, so this is Jesus talking back to Peter after Peter's made this confession. says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, which is hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So if the rock was important... And whether that's the man, the place, the words, or probably a bit of all three, if the rock was important, it was because of what Jesus was going to build on that rock. This is a profound passage, um, really significant. We, under, we get to grips with it. Authority, power, and influence was given to Peter on the basis of that confession of faith. Even with all his mistakes and clunkiness and clumsiness, he was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's why there's the, the idea that you know, Peter's on the gate. He's the gatekeeper. He's letting people in or out of heaven. It's much more than that. He may well be there. That's fine. But it, it's much more than that. But to be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, like keys unlock things. That's super obvious, isn't it? Our kids upstairs are doing a, a series at the moment on kingdom keys. It's nice that actually keys unlock things. You've been given keys to unlock the treasures of heaven and release that on the earth. That's what, you know, that's what the expectation of this Messiah was, to bring justice, to bring peace, to bring an end to oppression. That's what you and I have been charged with. And it's not just that we've been told to do it, we've been equipped to do it, we've been given the keys to enable us to do that. And I think absolutely that was for Peter. You know, this, this was a, 
an encounter between Jesus and Peter. It absolutely was. But I absolutely think it's for you and I as well. Just as much for us today as it was for Peter then. And absolutely, it's for us to learn and grow in, just like it was for Peter as well. But, you know, the keys are in our hand as we say yes to following Jesus, as we say yes to that foundational truth of declaring him as the Son of God, as the Messiah, um, then we're given the keys. You know, the possibility, the potential, if you like, the purpose of what God is building is incredible. To see lives and situations absolutely change. And to stand with confidence. You know, that is a, that is a huge statement, um, that he will build his church and even the gates of hell will not overcome it. Because yeah, sometimes, you know, we can have a bit of a, a doom and gloom look at things and think, oh, gosh, what's happening in the church and this, that, and they'd be discouraged. But, like, this hasn't changed. Since Jesus set this in motion 2,000 years ago, the gates of hell cannot overcome the church. Now, do we get it right? Nope. Are we as yet the pure and spotless bride we need to be? Nope. But still, this is true. The gates of hell will not, cannot overcome the church. And the church is you and I, which means the gates of hell cannot overcome you. It's a huge, huge statement. So we can stand in real confidence. Actually, that confession of faith on who Jesus is gives us real confidence that we can stand in the face of real opposition, you know, and in really maybe dark places, in really dark seasons, and know the gates of hell cannot overcome. They can't overwhelm. They can come against, but they can't overcome. If we continue to stand with Jesus and let him build us into this church, into this building. Um, but the requirement on us is, like we looked at last week, the requirement on you and I is that we give our best and fullest yes to Jesus. That we have this revelation of who he is, but we give our very best yes. And it was those qualities and commitment that Jesus saw in Peter that made him sort of speak those direct words to him. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I'm sure those are words that probably replayed through you know, the next 30, 40 years with Peter. Yeah, well, here's what he said. This looks confusing. How is this going to work? It, this you know, was prophetically foundational for Peter in terms of, well, that is what he said. That's how he worked. So Peter was still very much a work in process. He definitely had some journey still to travel. And I, and I think, absolutely, I think he had some revelation still to come in terms of well, what, what does that mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? And in later on, if you look after Pentecost, so after the Holy Spirit comes, Peter is filled with this boldness, but also real wisdom and you know, this understanding of how this all works. So to the point where in Acts 4, he's been hauled before the temple council, and he says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's almost like the, the fullness of the revelation of who Jesus was. Um, I don't think he had it all at this encounter, but he said, but he stepped out on what he knew and what he had. And then through time, there was more revelation and more understanding until he landed on this. And for us now, you know, with the benefit of the Bible and all their revelation, actually, you know, we know that that's the truth. You know, it's not just that Jesus is an option. He's a foundation, if that, but there's other ones if you want. He's the only foundation. He's the only name. He's the only way for us to be saved. But when we stand on the truth of who he is, then we absolutely are saved. We're absolutely covered. Um, but it was, it was like, 
in his calling, it was like that, that first step of giving this best yes. But this encounter, for me, it was like this key time of something really foundational being fitted. And it's, it's really important. There was much to build on that. There was much refining. There was much journey still to go. But this foundational encounter between him, Jesus saying, well, who do you say I am? It, it was just so key. And for Peter's response, this, and it must have been supernatural. And Jesus said that, didn't he? He says, it's not been revealed by flesh and blood. It's not like you figured this out. This has been revealed to you by heaven that this is who Jesus is. And, and Peter went from there. Even though he had, gosh, there was, there was so much still to come. There was, there was more revelation he needed. There was more wisdom. There was more maturity. There was loads still to come. But it was this willingness in Peter, I think, to give his best yes, his absolute yes, even um, when he wasn't necessarily clear what that was going to look like. So like his initial calling, you know, Jesus said, leave your nets, come follow me. He did. He can't have known really what that's going to look like, um, but he gave his best yet. You know, even when what he was being asked was impossible. You know, so later on we see a um, really famous passage in the Bible where Peter walks on water, you know, where Jesus calls him to step out of the boat. And so even when what's asked is impossible, Peter still goes for it, jumps in. Even when he's, where he lands with his ideas are a little bit off, like building a tent for Jesus and Moses at the Transfiguration. Even when it was really hard to understand. Um, one of my favorite bits of Peter's journey is in John 6. I'll look at that briefly to finish. Um, and it's a similar encounter to this episode in Matthew um, it's interesting, both of these encounters happen after a miraculous multiplication of food, and it's this same sort of, who do you say I am, who are other people saying I am, and Peter's um, response. Um, so in Romans 6, sorry, Romans, John 6, 68-69, John 6 is quite a long chapter, um, and it's basically where Jesus miraculously feeds thousands and thousands of people, and then he talks about being the bread of life. Um, and he talks about, actually, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciples, which we understand because we understand about the cross and the resurrection and we understand about communion and Jesus' instruction to break bread and drink wine to remember him. So for us, chap- John chapter 6 is, is fine. We get it. It's all right. For the disciples and the people hearing at the time, it was really not fine, really not con- you know, super confusing. What do you mean? eat my flesh, drink my blood, what on earth? And, and it says if, in earlier on, if you read the whole chapter, in lots of disciples, there's this sort of toing and froing, and then it says they were sort of muttering amongst themselves going, this is a really hard teaching, who can believe this? And lots of them leave Jesus at that point because they're like, do you know what, that just, that offends, that messes with my head, I, I'm, I'm done. But then you have this interaction with Peter and Jesus, and Jesus says to him this time, he says, um, are you going to go? Are you going to leave me also? And Peter says this amazing thing. I'm going to read it for you from the Amplified Version. So Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You are our only hope. We have believed and have confidently trusted, and even more, we have come to know by personal observation and experience that you are the Holy One of God the Christ, that's another word for the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's such a beautiful encounter. Because 
I don't think Peter understood it necessarily any more than anyone else. I don't think it was any less offensive or difficult for Peter to understand than anyone else. But his response is, where else am I going to go? You know, it's like there's something in you. There's something that when you speak, I know something comes alive in me and, and my head might need to catch up, but I haven't got anywhere else to go. And this is, this is the journey for us as Christians to be able to come to that point to say where we believe and trust, and they're different things. You know, I can believe in the theory of aerodynamics. I don't understand them. But I can believe that aeroplanes can take off and can fly me to America. I can believe it is one thing. To trust it means I have to buy a ticket and get on a plane and sit down on it. You know, so believing in Jesus is one thing. Trusting in him, you know, building your life on the foundation of who he is and what he says he's going to do is a complete other thing. And being a disciple requires both. We believe and we trust in who Jesus is. He is the promised one of God. He is the deliverer. He is the savior. He is the only name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved. And we have to have a confident belief and trust that that's who Jesus is. And that's what we're building our life on. And that is a foundational that the church needs to be built on. And there's, you know, there's, there's like no wriggle room with that. Who Jesus is is foundational. But I love that about Peter, <clears throat> you know, that he had these like, I suppose, foundational encounters with Jesus of that understanding and, and speaking it out. It's really interesting because you know, sometimes we can be so, you know, British and reserved and quiet, and, but it, it really matters sometimes that we say stuff, you know, sometimes in your head and we have to confess it. That's why, you know, worshiping together is important because we're sp- speaking out singing out truth that we hear that the person next to us hears like it really matters and there was this it it, it mattered it was this almost requirement that jesus needed to i think as much i don't think it was for jesus benefit jesus knew who he was but it was for peter's benefit that he spoke out this is who you are i believe this is who you are do you know and in the same way that jesus called to the disciples that we looked at last week is actually exactly the same call to you and I. So his call was, follow me. And that's absolutely the same call to you and I. Actually, follow me. Leave everything if required, but follow me. Um, Actually, the question that was at the center of this whole encounter with Peter is exactly the same question for you and I. Who do you say I am? There's loads of opinions and ideas about who Jesus was. Lots of people recognize he was a good man. You You know, there's more historical documentation for Jesus than there is for Julius Caesar. Most people were all right that he existed, but there's lots of ideas of who he is, actually. But the question to you and I as individuals, and it's like this isn't a question we can answer as a church family. Like this isn't a question that um, is even for you, maybe as a as a biological family. The question is to you: Who do you say Jesus is? Not who do your mum and dad say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? You know, not who does your friends, your wife, your pastor. It, like it's not. It has to be. It's a you question that requires a you response, and it's a foundational question. Actually, the kingdom is going to be built, and the gates of hell can't overcome it. But if that foundational piece is missing, the building is unstable. You know, for some of us, we you know we we stepped out with that. I believe Jesus, you're the son of the living God, Messiah, savior. I believe and I trust in you. You know, some of us did that. Some of us did that a long time ago. I did that 30 years ago. Um, but some of you maybe have never actually 
taken that step. And maybe it's, it's a step from believing in Jesus to actually stepping out and trusting in him for yourself as your saviour. And maybe some of it is, is, you know, believing in him. And even, you know, like we sung this morning, believing that God's good, believing in theory that he won't let us down. But actually, we need to step out and really trust him in that. Maybe there are some things going on in life that actually challenge that as a foundation. Um, and it's good to revisit those foundations. Say, so, no, I believe and trust in who Jesus is, that he is our only hope. Like he has the words of eternal life. He is God's promised son, our saviour. Because when we do that, we need to understand that that is the rock that the church is built on. But I want us to get hold of, again, this understanding, but just look what is promised and is possible to be built on that foundation. Just look at these keys. Actually, and some of us need to take hold of it and start using some of these keys, actually to unlock things, to loose things, to change situations around us because of the authority and the influence that Jesus has given us. As people who give, step out in believing and trusting in Jesus, giving him our best yes and following him, you need to know then you are given a bunch of keys and you need to learn how to use them to see the kingdom extended. So your yes to Jesus this morning, and I'm talking to you as individuals, is really important because you have influence. You have keys that other people don't have. You may be going to places where there are certain padlocks that I don't go to. You know, I might have the key for it, but I never go there. But you do. So just as it was a personal encounter with Peter, he was saying, Peter, on you, because of your confession of faith, because of your absolutely commitment to me, I'm building my church on you. Like That's the same invitation to you and I. He'll build his church on men and women and young people and kids who say yes. But we need to understand that that comes with, we're given then keys, we're given then influence, and actually to see things change. And then we carry the mission of the Messiah to see hope come, to see sin dealt with, to see oppression leave. Like we then carry keys to see those things change. But our foundational yes in recognizing, believing, trusting who Jesus is, is important. So why don't we stand together um, and let's pray for one another. I'm just aware there might be some people here who've actually maybe never taken that step, you know, and maybe actually you're aware of almost like Jesus is asking you that question this morning, who do you say I am? Um, And maybe some of you have never actually for yourselves um, taken that step. It says in the Bible that if you believe in your heart and confess you in the mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. It's really simple. So if there's anyone here who you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, a a follower of Jesus. Um, We love to kind of talk with you and pray with you if that's that's you this morning. So please, you know, maybe you've come with somebody and you want to talk with them, pray with them. Maybe you want to come and find myself or one of the prayer team. We'd love to do that with you. But for those of us who maybe would say, you know what, I have given him my yes. Um, I want us to kind of focus again on actually those, that foundation, and, and that God would strengthen that foundation in us in order that we would run with the things that he's charging us with. So Jesus, we want to thank you, and we want to, um, we want to say as, our, as your people that 
We believe and we trust that you are the Son of the living God, that you are God's promised Messiah, that you are our personal Savior. Jesus, we believe in you, and Jesus, we trust in you. And God, I want to thank you for the church that you're building. Thank you that you use men and women and kids like all of us in here. And God, that all that you want from us is our best yes. And we want to give you that again this morning, Jesus. We want to give you our very best yes, but we want to take hold of the keys that you're giving us. I feel like some of you are almost going to, there's going to be situations, maybe at work, or the situation going to drop into your head that looks difficult, even impossible. I feel like Jesus is saying, I'm giving you keys to change that. I'm giving you keys to release hope where it looks hopeless. I'm giving you keys to actually to bind fear in situations where there's fear. He's giving us keys. So Jesus, I want to thank you that even 2,000 years ago when you said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Thank you that that is as true today as the day you spoke it. And so God, we want to speak strength to your church, your whole church over the whole world, God. People who worship just like us and people who worship in massively different ways. God, we speak blessing and strength and favor over your church. And we just declare you will have a pure and spotless bride. We declare the gates of hell can try as hard as they like, but they cannot overwhelm the church of Jesus Christ that you're building. And Father, we want to take our place in that. So would you shore up our foundations? that we'd have confidence again in who you are and who you're calling us to be and that we would run as hard as we can after you. And God, help us, even this week, God, to take hold of those keys and to use them to change situations. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. If you're on the prayer team this morning, I ask if you can make yourself available. You know, we always want to make time and space to pray with one another and for one another so if you have come with any need that you would like someone to pray with you this morning then please do come and i know there are some of you coming with health situations this morning you have pain there's things going on and in health that are not right um you know god is the god who heals god is the god of the impossible and he is faithful so if there are things that you need or would like prayer for this morning then please some of these guys would love to pray with you if you are not a christian but actually you feel like you know what i want to be this morning um, then please come um, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you